Our gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 12. Listen now for God's voice as we hear these words. Now, during those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Well, this week I've been thinking about a friend I used to have a long, long time ago. His name was Joe. It was inevitable that Joe and I were going to be friends. It was, it was a foregone conclusion, really. Joe and I had a lot in common. We were both in the marching band. I played the tuba, and Joe played the euphonium. And so every day during band class, we would sit in the very back row of the band room and goof around and make funny noises with our instruments. And Joe and I spent a lot of time together outside of school as well. We swapped video games. And uh, when the carnival came to town each summer, we would call each other up and head over to the carnival, and we would ride the spinny rides, and we would walk up and down the midway trying to meet girls. There was one other thing that, that Joe and I had in common, one other thing that made our friendship an easy friendship, and that was the fact that we were both church kids. I grew up in the Methodist church, sat in the front pew with my family every Sunday morning. And Joe grew up with the Baptist church. He sat in the front pew with the Baptist church with his family every Sunday morning. And all of those years of Sunday school and youth group gave us a, a common vocabulary and a shared way of seeing the world that, that made it easy for us to be together, to talk to one another. Our faith was part of the glue that held our friendship together up until a day in my sophomore year of high school. And when I was a sophomore in high school, our marching band embarked on a great adventure. We got about a, a, a whole caravan of buses, and then we drove for 30 hours straight from the Upper Peninsula all the way down to the state of Florida. The plan was that we were going to spend an entire week in the state of Florida, and we were going to march in parades at Disney World and Bush Gardens and Universal Studios. And of course, we were all excited to take this great adventure together. And of course, Joe and I decided that we would sit on the bus together. And so we sat on the bus, and we had a great time for a couple of hours, but then it got to be just a little bit claustrophobic there on the bus. And during that 30-hour ride, we spent most of our time trying to stay out of each other's way and trying to get comfortable and trying to get what sleep we could, which wasn't easy in a bus full of restless and smelly teenagers. And finally, finally we arrived in Florida, and we unloaded the buses and started moving into our hotel and, of course, Joe and I decided that we wanted to room together in the hotel. And it was as we were unloading the buses, as we were moving into our hotel room, that something happened. 
Joe and I got to talking, and what we talked about was religion. And at a certain point, that, that conversation was no longer a conversation, but it became an argument. And all of these years later, I honestly can't tell you what the argument was about. I know all I can remember is that it was one of those things where Methodists see it one way and Baptists see it another way. And for some reason, in that moment, to both of us, it seemed like a very important thing to argue about. Now, maybe because we had been cooped up together on a bus for 30 hours, maybe because we hadn't had a, a decent meal or a good night's sleep in almost two days. For whatever reason, this point that we were arguing seemed terribly important to both of us, and neither of us was willing to give in, and neither of us was willing to budge, and the argument started to get heated. We pulled the Gideon's Bible out of the drawer there in the hotel room, and we started flipping pages and quoting verses and snatching the Bible out of each other's hands. It got to the point where we were making such a ruckus that other people started coming into the room. You know, Catholics and, and Presbyterians and, and people, people with no religious affiliation whatsoever who just wanted to see a good fight started drifting into our, our hotel room. And that's what they saw. They saw a good fight. They saw a knockdown, drag out scripture battle that ended with us deciding that we didn't want to be roommates while we were down in Florida for that week. And so we swapped roommates. Joe and I hardly spoke to each other for the rest of that trip, and when we finally got back to Michigan, nothing was ever quite the same. Band was never quite as much fun as it had been before that moment in that hotel room. When the carnival came to town that summer, we didn't call each other up. We didn't walk up and down the midway and ride the spinny rides together. Joe and I sort of drifted apart after that. All of it over an argument that was about something that has completely faded from my memory all of these years later. That was the first big argument I ever had with anybody on the subject of religion. It wasn't the last. It wouldn't be the last. And the followers of Jesus have got a long history of picking fights and arguing and butting heads with each other, a history that goes all the way back to the time of Jesus himself. In this morning's gospel reading, we have the story of this moment when Jesus gathers 12 people together and he names them his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles. Now, Jesus had more than 12 disciples. There was a great big crowd of disciples, men and women, who traveled with Jesus and who learned from Jesus and supported his ministry wherever he went. But on this day, Jesus looked at that big crowd of disciples and he called out 12 of them, 12 men, and he made them his, his closest companions, his teaching assistants. He called on them to model his teachings for all of the other disciples and the people and the crowds who came to see him. And there are lots of stories in the Gospels about the 12 disciples. If you read those stories, one of the things that you begin to notice is that it seems like the 12 disciples hardly ever got along. There are far more stories about the disciples arguing with each other than there are stories about the disciples laughing with one another. You know, maybe that's because they spent so much time together. Maybe it's because they hardly ever got a decent meal or a good night's sleep. Or maybe the reason for all of that tension and all of those arguments goes deeper. Maybe it has something to do with who those men were and the reason that Jesus called them together in the first place. 
As we look at the list of the 12 disciples in this morning's scripture reading, if we look at that list of names very carefully, one of the things that we begin to notice is that the divisions and the tensions and the disagreements were there from the very beginning. From the very first day the 12 disciples started to follow Jesus, some of these men would have had good reasons to hate one another. In that list of disciples, one of the names that we see is the, the name of a disciple called Simon. Now, this isn't Simon, Simon Peter, the Simon who there's so many stories about. This is a different Simon, a Simon who was called Simon the Zealot. And back in those days, if you were called a zealot, it didn't just mean that you had a powerful faith in God. Back in those days, if you were a zealot, it meant that you were part of a, a political movement. Zealots were a group of Jewish people who wanted to drive the Romans out of their land and back to Rome. They believed that the Romans had to go. Remember that during the time of Jesus, the Jews had been conquered by the Roman Empire. They were living under a military occupation. And some Jews figured it was easier to get along and go along with the Romans. But there were many, many Jews who believed that it was their God-given duty to fight, to fight and resist the Romans. The Zealots were a group of Jews who believed and called upon other people that they should take up arms against the Romans, that they should march into battle and fight against the Romans. They believed that if only they had the faith and the courage to march into battle against the Romans, then a miracle would happen. And God would march beside them, and God would drive the Romans back to Rome. That's what the zealots believed. That's what Simon believed. And then in that same list of names, we see the name of Judas Iscariot. Now, there are many Bible scholars who believe that Iscariot, that word Iscariot, is not Judas's last name, but instead it's a sign that Judas also belonged to a political movement, that Judas was a member of a group called the Sicarii, now, the word Sakari, it literally, it literally means people who carry daggers. The Sakari got their name for the daggers that they wore underneath their robes. The Sakari also believed that the Romans had to go, but they thought the zealots were going about it in the very most wrong way possible. They believed that it was foolishness to march into battle against the Romans. They believed that they would never be able to take on the Romans in a, in a head-to-head battle. There was no way to defeat the Romans face-to-face. If they wanted to resist the Romans and drive out the Romans, the only way to do it was to stab them in the back. And so that is literally what the Sakari did. They would carry daggers beneath their robes. And whenever there was a great big festival, a great gathering, a crowd of people, the Sicarii would make their way into the crowds and they would slide up behind their enemies. They would slip their daggers out of their robes. They would stab, 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 and then they would hide the daggers again and slip off, make their escape through the crowds. Now, the Sicarii would have loved to have stabbed every Roman official in the Holy Land, but of course Romans had bodyguards and they wore armor and they were hard to get to. So most of the time the people the Sicarii were stabbing in the back were Jews who worked too closely with the Romans. The Sicarii assassinated at least one high priest who they thought was too friendly with the Romans, and their favorite, their very most favorite targets were tax collectors. Now, tax collectors were Jews who had discovered that you could make a fortune if you were willing to hold your nose and work with the Romans to oppress your neighbors. And that brings us to Matthew. In the very same list of names where we find the name Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, we also find that Jesus called to be one of his 12 disciples, Matthew the tax collector. 
And you can imagine, can't you just imagine what it must have been like that very first night when Jesus sat down around the fire with all of those 12 disciples and they looked at each other as they were roasting, roasting marshmallows or whatever it was they did in the evenings? The Gospels don't tell us. Over on this side, you've got Judas and Simon. And even though Judas and Simon have the exact same goals, and even though they agree, they perfectly agree on every important point of theology and politics, Simon and Judas have nothing but contempt for one another. Judas believes that Simon is trying to lead the people into a total disaster. Simon believes that Judas is a coward, a man without faith, a man without honor. And then over on the other side of the fire, you've got Matthew. And poor Matthew is keeping his eyes wide open and trying not to blink. And he is watching Simon and he is watching Judas and his hands won't stop shaking because he is wondering if one of these men is literally going to stab him to death in his sleep that night. These are the people Jesus called to journey together as disciples and as apostles. It's no wonder that the disciples were always arguing and always butting heads with one another. Those divisions, those fault lines were there from the very beginning because Jesus didn't just assemble a team of rivals. Jesus assembled a team of enemies. And the obvious question is, why would you do that? Why would you assemble these 12 men who already had such deep and long-simmering hatred and prejudice against one another? And we find the answer to that question just a few verses later in the very words of Jesus himself. If we keep reading beyond the end of this morning's gospel reading, if we read just a little bit later in the gospel of Luke chapter 6, we find that the very same day Jesus called the 12 disciples together, he also preached a sermon. He gathered all of his disciples together and he looked out at all of those faces. He looked at all of these people who were already staring daggers at each other and maybe even fingering daggers that were hidden underneath their robes. Jesus looked at all of his disciples and he said, okay, he said, listen, if you want to be my disciples, if you want to join me in this work of revealing God's love to the world, here is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to love your enemies. Jesus said, I've been watching you, and I know that some of you have already learned how to love people who love you back. He says, do you think that's some kind of a great spiritual accomplishment? Do you think that's something that you ought to brag about and be proud of? He said, even sinners know how to love people who already love them back. And I've noticed that some of you know how to do good to people who do good to you. Again, I say, do you think that is some great spiritual achievement? Even sinners know how to do good to people who do good to them. No, Jesus says, if you want to receive the greater reward... If you want to experience the higher love, if you want to be my disciples, then here is what you're going to have to do. Love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. And have mercy on those who hate you. It turns out that the divisions and the differences between the 12 disciples were a feature, not a bug. In the mind of Jesus, all of those differences were an essential part of God's plan to heal and save the world because it was those differences, the very differences that made it so hard for the disciples to be together, the very differences that made them so liable to argue with one another, those same differences were the very thing that made it possible for them to experience and to share the love of God. And it's like that in the church still to this day. 
Our bishop in Michigan, Bishop David Bard, has got a Ph.D. in conflict resolution. Did you know that? That's one of the reasons I'm so glad that Bishop Bard is here to lead us at this particular moment in the life of the church. A few weeks ago, I got to hear Bishop Bard talking about how and why conflict happens in congregations. And he said something that stayed with me. He said, you know, people think that we have conflict in the church because we have differences in the church. He said, that's not the case. There have always been differences in the church, and there always will be differences in the church. He said, the reason we have conflict in the church, it happens at those moments when we become aware of our differences and we start to see them as a problem. Once we start seeing our differences as a problem that needs to be solved, he said, our options are, are severely limited. There's really only two ways that you can solve that kind of problem. Either one of us has got to change or one of us has got to leave. But it doesn't have to be that way, he said. We don't have to see our differences as a problem. We can look at our differences in the way that Jesus looked at our differences. We can see our differences as, as uh, an essential part of God's plan to heal and save this world. And if we can do that, suddenly a whole new world of possibilities opens up before us. What if instead of seeing our differences as a problem that needs to be solved, we saw them as an opportunity to learn from one another? And what if instead of seeing our differences as a problem that needs to be solved, we saw them as a miracle of God, a, a testament to God's ability to draw so many different kinds of people together? What if... What if instead of seeing our differences as a problem that needs to be solved, we saw them as an opportunity to grow in grace and grow in love? If we could only begin to see our differences as a feature and not a bug, maybe we would begin to receive the higher rewards, experience the higher love. Maybe, maybe we could keep on making music together and the carnival of God's love could go on spinning. Let's pray. God, give us fresh eyes. Give us eyes to truly see one another, not as problems and not as enemies, but as companions on this journey, as laborers in the same field, as gifts that you have given to us. God, in those moments when we become aware of our differences, our differences in experience, our differences in viewpoint, our differences in opinion, give us that moment, that moment of appreciation and wonder. Help us to walk through the world with curiosity in one hand and humility in the other, that we might be slower to reach for our daggers. In Jesus we pray. Amen.